0: Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodman, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer or artist and will provide inspiration tips from top professionals in the field, along with contest winners, of which I'm very excited in in today's episode to be speaking with the grand prize winners for Writers of the Future Volume 38, Desmond Astaire with his story Gallows, and Zane Lodi with his amazing art, Agatha's Monster. Welcome gentlemen. Good morning. I'm glad to be here. Yeah this is uh, it was quite an event last night and uh, it's um, each year it just gets better and better and better you know and so I guess to begin with just since that's gonna be the freshest in your mind so um, Desmond what was your immediate impression or your impression right now as of what happened last night? Well, I was
1: sick to my stomach all leading up to it because i having having a a background in journalism and editing i they uh i got to um do an assist with the uh with the editing process so i i got to read everyone's stories before it went to print so I knew how high quality everyone's stories were I knew that this volume is amazing above i mean this is probably my favorite volume since thirty three and uh knowing the competition I was sick to my stomach up through 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 the whole moment um and then uh i mean the the gala itself was amazing i mean you talk about you know five star treatment the the best salmon meal i've ever had um you know the presentations the speeches it was fantastic so i'm trying to enjoy it take it all in and at the same time knowing uh this big moment may or may not be coming and uh it, it was a very, very enjoyable experience. That's awesome. And what about yourself, Zane? Yeah, I mean, I'm in the
2: same camp as Desmond when it came to the competition and just being terrified as to whether or not I was actually going to make it this year. I mean, Larry and Tom were telling us the whole time, this is one of the most stacked rosters we've ever had. We have, like, so, so many talented artists. We have, like, Brett. We have Tenzin, who's in high school, and he's in this competition. I mean, it was really really nerve-wracking up to the point and then when i actually ended up getting it it felt like all that energy just released and i just exploded and i was just so so happy like i didn't even pre- prepare a speech because i wasn't sure
0: if i was going to win and i told you <laughs> you 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 I, you <laughs> proved me true yet again when i when we go over like okay the whole thing on the event and acceptance speeches now you're really going and say i had no idea i didn't think it'd be me i didn't prepare anything and just it gets said no matter how much i say you know, try to prepare something. It's invariably the first thing out of your mouth is, <laughs> "I it so wasn't me. I just I just didn't you know think at all. It was so that that's funny that you say that, even despite telling you, <laughs> oh, I just didn't believe it. I was like, no, there's no way, and then it,
2: it happened. It was, it was crazy. It was really really incredible. I mean, everyone there was so kind, and the audience was so receptive. Like they were electric. Like they were just constantly like clapping and cheering and they're just really, really like on the same wavelength as all the illustrators and writers. I mean, there's such a great audience. I and mean, it, it was an incredible event. I mean, that was one of the best desserts I've ever had. That was so good. Mm. Whatever
0: that was, it was incredible. <laughs> yeah, that's... it's The Taggling Complex, you know, is just amazing. They're, <clears throat> they are so service-oriented. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, their kitchens there so they have two kitchens so they're able to handle you know th- the 300 plus people we had last night in there with the um the salmon and the um it's like a almost like a roast beef filet type of piece it was filet mignon but it was like i think one and a half inches thick and you mm-hmm. asking so how do we want this cooked uh medium rare medium or so well it's push it towards the medium rare side because it's it's such good meat that they use oh you can Mm -hmm. taste the the purity of it like oh yeah Mm -hmm. and that's like i said both the filet and the salmon is just amazing but you said the dessert obviously left you the lasting impression that that special chocolate mousse with a with a vanilla cream filling on it. it's just and they make all that stuff too incredible it was really amazing i
2: mean i was my mind was blown. I was like looking over to Larry, and Larry was looking over to me, and
0: we were thinking the same thing about that dessert. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So, the event itself—like, what was the highlight in terms of the the speakers or any of the impression? Because we had so many things. We had the um, we had that poem from Elron Hubbard. Well, it actually, started with the the song "Men of Reason." And then um, we had that, you know, the opening video, which gives a bit of the history of the contest. Uh, we also then had the, uh, um, the the poem from Battlefield Earth. And then we had, obviously, the general's keynote speech. We had the um, uh, video, which is, it's the only recorded video of um, the, uh, Frank Vizetta, the the artist there. And nobody had... They'd seen photos of them. They'd never seen them actually talking in video type stuff because nothing exists out there on that. And um, and then the, the general with his keynote speech. Um, and then obviously the announcement of these two dudes as the grand prize winners. So for you, I, I did. I just kind of like ran through the night. Just anything, what are the standouts for you on on the event of that?
1: My goodness, that opening up... You know, talking about opening up with a bang, the, the song Men of Reason brought to life with this amazing singer who who sang it with such passion and uh and uh genuine animation. It was it was visual storytelling along with the with the music. I just felt amped up like, oh man, we just started a concert here. Let's go. Um that that was a perfect way to open it. And then you know the general's uh speech was uh was Really, really relevant. Um, you know, he being the recently retired commander of the air and missile complex here in, in California was extremely relevant because um, you know, he being on the leading the cutting edge um, mission of the air and space force as the emerging technology. And, and of course, he's an avid uh, sci-fi fan. He's kind of a unique perspective as to where the world is going could go and the importance of that, and he was able to share that with, with that. So as, as both a uh, a writer, and you know, someone who appreciates the that emerging world as as well, that was really neat to see. And, and then of course the reading of the of the the poem was so powerful, so powerful. Declaration of Peace. The Declaration of Peace poem um, that was really just the presentation was was so artistically done that you felt the theme come out and reach and touch you make you think oh oh i'm feeling something i'm thinking something and which is what art is supposed to do
0: Mm -hmm. what about yourself scene
2: yeah i mean i completely agree with everything that desmond said but not to retread on that territory uh one of the most impactful things to me was the frazetta talk frazetta's been my hero since i was like a kid like i've loved his work like for Conan, I've like always had that image up all the time. And it's just beautiful. And what he said about, uh, about design coming first and the idea coming first is super, super important. I mean, he really, really knew what he was doing. He was an incredible technical painter, but he put his concepts before his technical paintings. He, um, he did a lot, a lot of interesting stuff with his anatomy. And interesting, I mean, he kind of fudged it. But it looked perfect because it matched his design. And it was great. I mean, everything that he made was incredible. And he'd do it like a day or two in advance of the deadline. Like he was really, really awesome. So actually getting to see him talk, it's like, oh, my God. It's like I just saw like Moses talking or something. It was, it was absurd. I mean, it's like something out of a dream to see that man. I think as soon as I get to Florida again, I live pretty close to uh, Boca Grande, so I can go straight to the Frazetta Museum and just hang
0: out over there and go look at some of his work. Yeah, what we'll do after this, I will connect you up then with Sarah Frazetta. She's the granddaughter, and um, to set up a a tour. Oh, that'd be great. (laughs) That would be so cool. (laughs) Okay, good. Yeah, she's. um, I mean, obviously they're good friends, and so we'll um, definitely we'll arrange that. So now um your journey as an illustrator so you started Oh when? I when I started let's see I started like just
2: like being interested in illustration when I was really really young I think I was like 6 6 or 7 and I used to draw with my mom all the time because she always always nurtured my creative spirit and she like kept pushing me to draw. She'd buy me sketchbooks, and she would do all this awesome stuff for me. Um, And then, you know, it slowly developed over time. Like, I live right next to the Ringling Museum, so we went there a lot, and I got to draw, like, sculptures. I got to look at all the paintings. I mean, it it was really, really inspiring. I got to see some of the greats when I was really, really young, when I was, like, eight years old. I didn't appreciate it as much as I appreciate it now. Like, if I could do the same thing for my kids, take them there and see those incredible paintings and sculptures, I mean that would be a that'd be a life changing experience. But I'm sure they'd take it for granted too. Yeah. <laughs> but um yeah, it just developed
0: over time. I really, really love the medium. Um it just So the medium is specifically is uh using Photoshop or, or pencil or watercolor oh. or yeah yeah
2: well, it started out as pencil when I was young, and then it moved forward to watercolor and then it moved forward to acrylic and then finally to oil, which was in high school and that was when I used to buy a bunch of really cheap masonite, which these big like giant sure. boards, and I'd gesso them up and then I'd slap them into the classroom and I'd start painting oils on them and I used to go out all around I used to take my bike and these huge canvases and like an easel, and I would just drive around my not just my neighborhood, but the whole like county in my little bike. And I would just set up, and I would paint all day. And then I'd come back home, and it'd be night, and I'd be like, oh, this painting's terrible, but at least I did it. Mm -hmm. And I learned a heck of a lot from it. Every single time I did it, I learned something new. So those terrible paintings progressively got a little less terrible every single time. And when
0: it came to actually coming into university, like going to college, i uh it's quite a testament itself saying that oh yeah i go to ringling it's like it's already known as one of the top art colleges art schools in america
2: oh yeah they they chew us up they i mean they're (laughs) they're fantastic i mean they they really really push their students especially students that they see are like driven they push them to their limits like i've had many many nights where i've slept two hours or less because you know I work early in the morning all the way up to the evening, and I'm not working on one painting. I'm working on, like, two or three at a time because I don't like to spend 100 hours on one painting. I like to spend 20 hours on five paintings, and I think that's just a better way to do it. I think that's the way that Frazetta would do it too. So I'm like, if there's anyone to emulate, it's got to be him. I mean, he's legendary.
0: That's awesome. So now, so how far, how long are, how far along are you at uh, Ringling? I'm in my senior year. I have about a month left to graduate. My thesis
2: is due in about a week.
1: <laughs> Congratulations. And you
2: started it? Oh heck yeah. I've been on my thesis. It's just uh we took a quick took this intermission here. Yeah, I take a yes. quick intermission. I mean, it's worth it. It's worth it. I'm willing to spend an extra however many hours over the next couple of weeks or I guess week to to get all those illustrations done. I can handle it. I mean, I got I got a huge support system. I mean, my dad, my brother my girlfriend, my mom, all of them are there to support me, and you know, make sure that I'm
0: not like having a mental breakdown after all these paintings. <laughs> that's that's great. Thanks. Now, Desmond, yourself, your uh, journey. Well, it started out as being a reader. Uh, I remember in
1: preschool uh, being upset that my best friend could could read and I couldn't, so learned how to read. And then in second grade, by second grade, I was reading as much as I could. There was uh, the accelerated reader program, the book it program that incentivized reading, and you get to you got to take quizzes and and mark progress. And and that was really that was really fun. So I did that, and I remember the trying to check out, I think it was a modest, a modest novel, modest sci-fi novel. And the librarian said, this, th- this book's too big for you. You need to pick out another one. I remember being really upset at that. Like, no, I want to read this one. But she won. That's okay. And then by um, I think it was somewhere around 13 or 14 or so, I was checking out all the trade paperbacks that I could out of, out of the, uh, the public library. One of those was the Star Trek Strange New Worlds anthology that Dean Wesley Smith uh, edited which was exactly what it sounds like, a collection of Star Trek stories, loved it. At the end of it, realized it was a contest where fans were creating essentially fan fiction and sending it in for submission to be published. And it dawned on me at that moment that these weren't like pro writers, these were Fan writers, and I could be a fan writer if I wanted because I like stories and I can tell stories.
0: So, and by the way, just, Dean, he, he's unabashedly says it says I one hundred percent copied writers of the future yes. in creating that contest. <laughs> yes, he did right off the
1: bat. As soon as we met him during our workshop, he he said that that, that yeah, the uh, did the uh, Star Trek. Strange New Worlds Anthology, which, by the way, we ripped off from Writers of the Future, which I did not know that, but the format is identical. Yeah. You know, I mean, minus the, uh, you know, Writers of the Future, of course, the incentive to win is to come and do the workshop and learn from the industry leaders. Whereas, uh, you know, with uh, Strange New Worlds, it was, um, you know, publication. publication. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, the format was, was identical. Yeah. It really, really neat. So I started writing for that. I didn't get picked up, but it was that chasing that dream, and then learning, you know, learning how to manu- uh, format manuscripts, learning, um, you know, how to tell stories, the elements of storytelling, all along the way. You know, in the internet age, you could pick up that stuff. Uh, there is no limit to to learning, um, and so I just kept doing that and doing that. And then uh, about four years ago, I learned about. Writers of the Future from a volume 33 winner, Stephen Lawson. We work in the same industry, and I came across a story that was written about him winning. So I, I emailed him and, and said, "Hey, you know, I, you know, professional writing is what I'm aiming for too. Do you have any suggestions of how to get there?" He said, "Check out Writers of the Future. That's that's the great way to go." And uh, and here we are today. <laughs> Absolutely,
0: that's that's so cool. So now. Um... Just just curious, did you have anybody watching watching you last night? Oh, of course. You were by yourself at the event last night, right? Yeah. But did yeah. you have any people watching you at, at the uh, Oh, and yeah. What was their reaction? Absolutely. They were ecstatic.
2: I mean, my dad, my brother, my mom, my uh, a close family friend, my girlfriend, they were all watching and texting me the whole time. My girlfriend's friends were watching because she told them to watch because they, they were banking on me winning. And that made me so happy. I mean, it was so amazing to get all the feedback from everyone. And my dad was making an
0: Instagram posts where he's recording it and like reacting. <laughs> oh, wonderful! <laughs> oh, that's great. That kind of support. And then yourself, you're Desmond.
1: I'm still trying to go through the texts. <laughs> I'm still trying to catch up. Um, yeah, that's that's a really awesome thing to have that that live streamed um, and live stream bo- broadcast so that everyone can be a part of it. I mean, that's. Like I said in my my speech last night, I was one of those people watching the live broadcast before I started entering and then, you know, living vicariously uh, through authors coming up on stage and living in that moment and saying, I'd like to do that. I think I'm going to try to do that. Uh, And so, of course, yeah, the family's uh, freaking out, uh, friends freaking out. I have, you know, some some writer friends that... uh, um, that you know are are considering going uh, in in the direction of, you know, perhaps working up the courage to put themselves out there. I hope that them seeing um, what can happen when you do through you know for my my avenue was writers of the future, and uh, it's you know even if I hadn't received uh, the the uh, the golden pen the workshop has paid dividends that will last a lifetime. Like you don't even understand the, the quality of uh, and saturation of knowledge from everything from the elements of storytelling to the business end. Um, I just hope that people get some sense through the speeches I made of how amazing this writers of the future opportunity is and, you know, throw yourself out there start submitting stories. Don't dig, get discouraged. If, uh, you know, if, if you don't place as high as you want to, just take that as encouragement to keep submitting different stories until one hits, because that means you're on the right track.
0: Yeah. And just one comment, too, about that is some of them originated, and every year they're talking about, yeah, I've been entering since the 90s. I've been entering, you know, this was my 19th submission. There is that rare, you know, first or second submission winning, but mostly it's it's many submissions that it takes to, to win over a period of of years. And sometimes people working on it, like like C.B. Haskell, she was, you know, she had won it, and then she just kind of like totally stopped. She was like, I, I can't handle mm-hmm. this. And then two and a half years ago, she picked it up again and said, okay, that's it, and I'm going to enter every quarter in the contest. And she did. And then you know, got built up the honorable mention and then the silver and and then was a winner. It just it just takes that. And as was very obvious last night at the uh, at the awards ceremony with people making their speeches not everybody's all this big extroverted, oh yeah. You know, it's like <laughs> some people are very, very shy, very nervous. It's not just on stage, it's in life too. So it it's just you and know, what the journal was saying at this speech, it's like and, you know, when he gave that one quote, you know, that he read, you know, it's the doers. They're the ones that really make the difference, mm-hmm. you know, instead of thinking about doing. It's like actually just going out there doing it and, you know, getting dirty, muddy, injured, bleeding. You know, it's like, it's kind of like what it is, What what you go through. And I think one thing that dawned on me is there aren't a whole lot of crucibles for the writers out there that's right as there are for the artists in order to get into ringling you had to already go through a process not dissimilar to winning the Illustrators of the Future because it's not like okay I've got some money, I want to go to ringling. It doesn't work like that on those types of schools. You've got to have come in there with your entry ticket is some awesome art before you can before you even step foot on the other side of that classroom threshold yeah i mean some schools
2: even require like specific things in their portfolio that you have to make in a short amount of time to get in there in the first place i mean artists like we really get dragged through it and then even when we apply for jobs even if they love our portfolios they still art test us which means we have to after the interview process is over they send us an assignment, and we do it for them to prove that we can do what they want. And if we don't get it, we just did a bunch of art for free. And, man, that sucks, but yeah. it is what it is. I mean, artists are just dragged through it, but it's okay. I mean, we're resilient creatures. I mean, look at Larry and Tom. They spent 20 years sleepless just working their tails off. I mean,
0: it's just the reality of the industry. And, yeah, yeah exactly. The guys at the top, they it's not something like they are born with a gift and just kind of like, Ah da, da da da! Here's my next creation. Come, people! I'll get, sell it to you for you know. No, yeah, not it, at
2: all. It's not glamorous. It's dirty. It's it's nasty. I mean, everyone there is a fighter. Everyone coming to the top. I mean, it's they're really, really strong
0: people. But one thing is like the judges that we have here. I mean, they're definitely they're amazingly talented, and they worked their. Like you said, their guts out in order to make it where they are, but they are so welcoming to to you and to you as mm-hmm. as winners and wanting to step up beside me now. And uh that's I mean, that's one thing that it's not that it doesn't exist elsewhere, but that is definitely what writers and illustrators of the future is and, and the judges to be able to I mean that's what was how it was originally created by Warren Hubbard was I mean that was his legacy that he did and um, he was, uh, the first, the first coordinating judge for the illustration, the, the person that started it, Frank Kelly Fries, in the book on Master Storyteller about Owen Hubbard, he has, a, an intro where he just talks about what it was like working with him, because he would illustrate some of his stories in, the in the golden, mm-hmm. golden age. And he talked about he was, I don't know if he was the only one, but the, the standout author for him that actually took the time to talk to them as an author, which the authors then were quite, you know, elitist. Mm-hmm. And he would take the time to go talk to the artists and thank them and just um he said it was it was so unusual. Oh, yeah. So
2: I was thinking about some things that L. Ron Hubbard said about the uh, hundred thousand words thing. We have something really similar in the art industry, and it may have stemmed from that, where it's like Uh, You need to have 10,000 hours of painting before you even start to approach
0: a painting style. Well, that's true. Yeah, um, it makes sense because when you start off, you emulate your favorites. You know, you try, okay, because you don't have your own style. So you're going to say, I love Rosetta, so I'm going to start doing that. And then I really love, you know, Van Gogh. I'm going to try some of that, you know, keep your ear on. But otherwise you know <laughs> and, and you like that. <laughs> yeah you're like a big like
2: homunculus of everyone else's styles until you finally develop that and you've had that
0: breakthrough moment where you're like yeah this is me i'm not mm. this person this is me yeah nice did you have something like that yourself as because you talked talking about um doing like fan fiction stuff to at the get go with the star trek you know trying to submit for that did you have something where you went okay i'm writing in other worlds before you did your own world or did you automatically start okay I'm, here's my first here's my world i'm going to create it okay this is junk okay here's the next one okay and then gradually build up how what how does that work for you
1: definitely started in the in the in the star trek world i love love that world um among all others it's just uh, you know having grown up in that in that that story telling and series is uh, it was very close to my heart and um, so yeah, yeah, definitely started out in that world, and then um, I'm kind of a standalone feature film type of a guy at this point. Uh, so I, I, I haven't written a whole lot of um, pieces that are set in the same world. There's, there's a few, and obviously that's very important to where we're at in this point of the uh, of the industry. That's what readers want. Readers want to be invested into a into a continuing world. So I am um bring in some pieces together to uh to to um fit that format because uh you want you want to make the readers you know happy because uh I mean, that's that's what it's all about is sharing sharing that world, sharing those stories with those who uh who can join you in that adventure, you know, have yeah. as much fun reading as you did writing. So um, Yeah, right now it's mainly uh, a little bit of hard sci-fi, a lot of psychological sci-fi or psychological fantasy, paranormal, stuff like that. Basically, if, uh, the stuff that I love to watch and read, I'll turn it around and, and put it on paper because I want to have fun. I, at the end of a story, when, when I'm done with it and I go back and reread and start doing edits and it's not boring and drab to do edits, when I'm having fun doing edits rereading, I know that, oh, yes – this this was a good one.
0: Yeah. So what do you so, – so as an artist, where do you want to be able to take your career? What What's your current vision of what you want to do? Hmm. My current vision,
2: I want to work in the games industry. I want to be able to reach a lot of people with my art. I think that's why I like the games industry. They're so widely circulated. And, you know, being known as like a, a game artist or a concept artist or – a really, really good modeler, people will kind of recognize that work and they'll see it as part of these big projects and say, hey, I like that piece or I like that little character. I like the way that barrel looks over there. Um, yeah, I just want to reach as many people as possible. I just love when people can see my work. Even if I can't hear what they have to say
0: about it, I'm just happy they're seeing it. So which judge or which, which part of the workshop best resonated with you then based upon that based upon that I think Max had a great lecture about uh game
2: design and I actually linked up with her on
0: so Max is Irma Kavun she was a, a, a winner last year she's from uh Turkey just an amazing artist and that's why I invited her specifically because I just I really liked her a lot last year okay she's somebody I need to stay in you know in direct touch with so i call us. you would like to come speak sure yeah i
2: mean that's a that was a great decision because she works directly in the games industry she works for 2k now a big company so i've been linking up with her on linkedin we've been talking back and forth and oh
0: that's great told her
2: about the win last night and she's like super excited and she's thinking about hiring me or getting one of her friends to hire me for a project that they're working on so it's like there there's so many amazing connections. I was even talking to Tom and Echo because I'm a I'm a three D modeler by trade. Like my uh, actual job that I work right now while I'm doing school, while I'm yeah. doing all this, I um I work as a three D modeler for a games company in Florida. And so Tom and Echo and everyone were like, "Hey, do you want to do three D models for us? Do you want to do this? Are you want to do that?" I'm like, "Heck yeah, I can do
0: that. <laughs> I don't mind working three or four jobs. I can uh, handle it." Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. That's one of the things. This really cool tool about how, all of a sudden, it just starts clicking. You know the connections, and um, there's you know some major authors that have gotten their start. You know, obviously with the contest, and then from there, uh, a judge. Um, like Patrick Rothfuss, He's a he's a he wrote this series that's um which of the final books coming out, you know, pretty soon. But he um he was taken under the wing by Kevin Anderson, introduced him to his agent, and that's how he got his launch, you know. And there's um I mean just so many different writers and artists. The main thing is connecting up. You got the art illustrator and the writer says, oh, I, I can you do my next cover? Can you do this cover? And it just it just goes click and just starts sparking really fast amongst everybody. That's that's such a cool story.
2: Yeah, yeah. Oh, I I got a lot of cool stories from my time here. It's great. <laughs> yeah, I the connections part is huge. I mean, I used to not be super social i used to like being my artist and just laying in my artist hole doing my paintings but i started like really branching out and trying to get everyone together and i've just like talking to everyone like doing group chats with everyone getting everyone close together setting up lunches and stuff and uh i remember when larry first talked i waited till the end of
0: the presentation larry elmore here yeah
2: larry elmore and we were all
0: the creator of all the original Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> art. Just oh, just him. Yeah, yeah, he's legendary. <laughs> but he,
2: he was so amazing. He's like this amazing like art grandpa. He's so great. And we I just waited till the end of the talk, and he was just talking to people. And then I just I was the last one in line. And then I talked his ear off. He took he talked my ear off. And I was like, hey, do you want to take this conversation somewhere else? Do you want to go get lunch? And I just took him out to lunch. And I just had lunch with Larry Elmore when I first met him.
0: No, that's, that's something that it's unreal to the, to the general layman, but to a specialist, you know, like as an artist, as an, a writer, being able to just go sit down and, and we have our barbecue. And there you are, you know, chatting with Larry Niven, who's like a god of science fiction,
1: is that were we sitting with Larry Elmore at the after party last night? Yeah, the oh the my gosh, with the,
2: with the glasses and the little beard.
1: We was, I was me and my wife were sitting next to Larry Elmore at the after party last night, just hanging out. and I had no idea because you know I, I hadn't got to intersect a, a whole lot with the illustrators. We were. <laughs> Only writers of the future, man, were sitting down with living legends like regular folk and just having a good time. And I had no idea until now. Oh, my gosh. Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Career. Yeah. Larry's just
2: a regular guy that it just so happens to be one of you know the most influential
0: painters for Dungeons yeah. and Dragons ever. And I, Dragonlance following that. Yeah. God, he Lord. He created all the Dragonlance stuff. That's even more popular. Mm-hmm. That's, that's him.
1: Only, yeah. only at Riders of the Future man.
2: <laughs> yeah, Larry's great. I got some old fashions
0: with him. It was it was fantastic. Oh, man. Yeah. He's got a good taste. Yes, yes, definitely. So now on um, on the workshops, we've, we've addressed that a little bit. So you said, Max, with what you, one of one the ones that resonated best with you, which I figured that would be your answer <laughs> after you described what you wanted to do. Um, so yourself, Dustin, who would be the... Person or persons that best resonated with you on the workshops because you've had so many people talking to you.
1: Yeah, that's a really, really tough question because each and every one brought something different and something top-notch. So we spent the most time this round with uh Tim Powers and Jody Lynn and I. They were our, our headed head instructors. And um they brought a lot of the how to tell better stories, whereas then uh, you know uh Robert Sawyer and uh Dean Wesley Smith um brought a lot of the okay here's how you do business after the fact which is something that um hugely important but as a emerging creative person you don't necessarily think about it. you're just hyper focused on how do I get my words out so um and then uh yeah that that's uh very very tough but um each one of them bringing a master's class in their topic in the course of a few hours, and I'm just furiously taking, taking notes. But I tell you this, the Writers of the Future digital, uh, or, I'm sorry. The work, online workshop? The online workshop, virtual, free. If you want to learn how to take your storytelling to the next level, that is what you need to sign up and enroll in. And it's free. It is free. It is uh you know self-paced um you know to an extent like uh, you know it's it's video lessons and and assignments um over uh, you know a set a set course of time and that investing in that time investment of, of doing that course, which is the same instructors as, as here, it's just done virtually over video, that was the difference between honorable mention placements, silver honorable mentions, and then placing first, and then golden pen. There was nothing in between. I was hitting honorable mention, silver honorable mention. I take the course, apply what I learned in the course, boom, first place. That's great. Sign up for that course.
0: So it's not the same as what you do when you're here as a winner. Correct. That's It's the same grounding. It's, just, it's the basis, the, the framework is there. Mm-hmm. And one thing that's cool, too, I've just recorded um, – a next lesson from Robert J. Sawyer, Nedia Corfor, and then Kevin Anderson, who will be three new lessons on the online workshop. We'll promote that to anybody that's already taken it, can t- do these videos and it needs to be edited and everything. But oh, I just wow. recorded them. So um, That's exciting. Yeah, it's very exciting. Rob was just he's just, you know, the his whole talk on the subject of Characterization and you know,
1: mm-hmm.
0: everybody's a robot, you know, it's because it's they're made exactly for that function, they're not real people, they can't be because a real person has got you're all over the place, you know, and a story has got to be focused there. And then Nettie uh, did a, a whole segment on self critiquing and how to do that and why it's so important. Wow, and then Kevin obviously has um, just amazing on, on the business. Mm-hmm business of writing so um, for yourself now um, as an artist the uh, like I said it's it's a bit different for the for the illustrators than it is for the writers because you've at least for yourself being um I don't think not everybody's it's like you've already gone through your your gauntlet, you know, with people beating you, you, know, you have to make it to where you now you're in a certain level. And so how many times did you have to enter to to win? One?
2: Uh, <laughs> I wish. No, not one. I, I think I entered for an entire year. I think I entered all four quarters. And eventually I got it. And it was incredible. I was so, so excited. I mean, Joni called me on the phone when I was getting back from the beach because uh, I, I love the beach and all, but I, I actually went to go see the storm at the beach because I thought that would be super cool. And then, you know, we just so happened to miss the storm. So we just got back, and we were in a little bit of a huff. And then uh, I got the call from Joni, and she told me I won. And I was like, well, what did I win? She's like, oh, you won the Illustrators of the Future. I'm like, what? I didn't think I was going to win because I, I applied so many quarters. I got semifinalists twice, and, you know, I actually got it. And I was just so, so happy like, I was over the moon.
1: That's great. and how many times did you enter Desmond? well, I'll be honest i uh i don't I, I don't keep track of uh of the losses. I think I think keeping <laughs> how many years <laughs> have <you> been trying? <laughs> I think keeping tracking of losses is, is a distraction to keep track of the wins. Okay, good. but I do think it was it Fair was enough. somewhere around between like four to six times um Four or six entries over uh, since 2017, yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah, so it, it's very rare that somebody, the reason I'm asking this isn't to like rehash your losses, <laughs> but for the people listening <laughs> to this, um, that you need to have that, or I'll, I'll actually ask you um, the takeaway of being able to enter the contest repeatedly, like what's then a big piece of advice that you could then, provide based on what you went through and we'll get back to you as well to um an aspiring writer you know like so you submit maybe you just you don't even find out why it was wasn't a uh that's right yeah when you know you just get like thank you very much mm-hmm. submit again why why should you you know not stop
1: there yeah there's there's a couple of really good reasons why you should uh, not stop on that because Uh, yeah, you will get form letter rejections all the time without in every aspect of the industry without telling you why. And that's that's standard. So in this context specifically, um, you want to submit multiple times. You you have four opportunities a year to, to submit because you can have a variety of submissions. Now, Joni will email you and say, hey, even if you don't have anything new, submit something that you've already submitted just so that you can put your name back in the bucket. Because the nature of the book, you may have a really good story, but because of the length of the book, because of the other types of stories that are already going to be in there, like some of the business ends, it may be a good story, but it may not fit for that value. There's some logistical aspects to everything that goes in there as well. Um, so, variety, You know you're being challenged to create and produce. Two. Once you um, knock out that course, your skill set is going to be elevated. I believe, and you can you can um, you can validate on the on the stats here. But it's well known that after that digital workshop was released, the quality of well both quality and quantity. Of entries into the contest escalated significantly that's right so I am I'm not jealous of the judges having to do, do their job it's got to be becoming extremely difficult um,
0: you know it is a fact that as the quality of storytelling goes up it, and it is it is a very much a date coincidence that when we issued the online workshop because Dave Farland said it is so much harder now, and you can see the number of honorable mentions spiked that year when we when we when we launched it because of people learned so much. You know, so we took a lot of time out of a person's um, arc to becoming a writer, and what's looking, what's you know, what we're looking for. And obviously, rise of future is a market we're looking for. The PG stories, we're looking, we're looking for pretty much an uptick. We went positive. We want something, you know, good. So we were like, ah, oh, okay. A, a good resolution, not a resolution where the protagonist is killed by her brother at the end. <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to do that, you know? So anyway, so um, I cut you off there, but that, what you're saying is, is absolutely true that um, the competition is increased considerably and it's way harder for the judges to, um, to select because instead of having maybe one cubit of good stories or one cubit of good art, you mm-hmm. now have five or 10 cubits and I'm just using a, a fictitious right now quantity. So I'm not saying numbers here, but it's just a lot more to choose from because of this. Mm-hmm. So um, on the illustration, um, on the workshop it's grown a lot it's changed a lot over the years because illustration when we first started the contest it really was illustrators of the future you know because it was illustration of book covers uh the inside panels for for stories and that's who the original judges were and these are some of the biggest names in art who were the the first judges you know so yeah, like Will Eisner, and there's an Eisner Award for him. He's the one that's the, the grandfather of of sequential art comic books, but um, we've had to go and move in the direction, like you said, you know, we had um, Max who talked, but we also have um, all the different formats and stuff. So any particular um, comment on the array of of um, art direction that is provided in the contest and anything else that you think would would even improve on it.
2: Yeah, I think there's an incredible array. I mean, Larry's a traditional painter. I mean, you don't see many of those nowadays. So, he was incredibly incredibly important in just teaching work ethic. I think that's something that everyone should take away from his talks. Larry Elmore works harder than anyone that I've ever like heard from. Like he really really showed the ugly side of art but it's something that everyone should grow to appreciate i think he had some really incredible things to say tom was the same way but tom moved into digital before a lot of other people did he started using photoshop in like the 90s so yeah he was there to see it grow so tom had some great insight on the uh the digital side of art especially or at least the 2D digital side and then echo had a lot to say about the business of art because she's incredible at marketing herself and you know selling her brand i mean she's she's like really really widely circulated so it was great to hear about all the business stuff and how to price and how to handle customers and how to you know sell yourself as an artist and then max was you know she's newer so she is there for that part of the game industry. She's you know telling us about substance substance designer and substance painter and all these programs that I love talking shop about because, you know that's my job. So it was incredible just to have the wide array that it is. I mean, if there's any way to improve it, I mean, I guess just have some more maybe have like a a strict like somebody that does three d modeling like as their job, maybe I don't know. it, it was almost I think it was perfect, honestly. I think it was perfect. I think there's such a great like variety of people in there, and so many different perspectives, and it's been valuable to
0: everyone else. <laughs> That's yeah. great. Thank you. Yeah. So for yourself, in terms of um, just the array of what's covered in the workshop, like I said, the uh, a lot more than I expected, anticipated,
1: and and so grateful because you can't see what's coming and you, you don't know what you don't know. Um, really that virtual workshop is like a writer 10 oh, or storytelling 101. when we get here, they're expounding or building on on that already so we got deeper into the elements of storytelling. if you don't have a baseline knowledge baseline knowledge when you get here then you may get lost real fast. So one, I mean if you're writing and submitting you you at least have some knowledge of storytelling if you take that virtual workshop you're going to be good to go and then three you get here and we start deep diving into how to take it to the next level that was about the first half of the of the workshop and then then we bring in the experts who are making a living writing and they share hey this is how I got here this is what you need to be thinking about as someone who's going to be financially, you know, successful and thinking. You need to be thinking. Here's the things you need to be thinking about now, so you don't make the same mistakes I made when I was in your shoes. Because this world will could pick up really fast. You're in a position now, because writers of the future, you're in a position now where you need to start thinking about this stuff and not make not make mistakes in the business end so hugely important um and the quality of uh, experience and information um everything from the storytelling to idea generation to um you know today we're talking about how to do conventions you know um we had a class on professionalism which you think would be self-explanatory it is not not in the world of entertainment you know you gave an amazing uh, talk about how to give an acceptance speech, things that should be self-explanatory, but it's not. So this, this course is the full package of how to be the creative professional
0: that you want to be. And there's nothing else like it out there. Right? It's amazing. Yeah, so on that, that's Mr. Hubbard's vision of what he was doing with this. I mean, he has several essays, both on art, as well as on writing, but they actually commingle there. The art is because he defines art as like the quality of communication. So, any particular um, essay or principle from Mister Hubbard that really resonated with using? Yeah, I think uh, the art is communication. I mean,
2: that's my job as a three D modeler as a concept artist. That's literally the job description. It's all about the idea and how you communicate the idea to the audience. I think that is one of the most important takeaways, especially for uh, younger guys that are trying to get into concept, like Ari and Tenzin, both of them want to be in concept. So that's the way to do it. Focus on your ideas, have cool ideas, have a good design language, and know how to solve those design problems that communicate those ideas as
0: efficiently as possible. Good. And yourself, Desmond?
1: Yeah, yeah. So preface this with that, you know, L. Ron Hubbard came from an educated family, lived a, a, a life of travel where he got to experience different world cultures. and I think that developed and gave him the, uh, the thirst for knowledge. So he, he sought out knowledge and just learned left and right. And then, you know, deep dived into the, uh, the world of um, how the mind interacts with the body put all that together, his uh, essay on suspense really stood out to me, because uh, it turns out suspense is the underlying element to driving plot. It's a universal concept that, uh, you know, you may call it different things. Um, suspense doesn't necessarily mean horror or thriller, like, like I would have thought before I came here. Um, suspense is the thing that drives the platform and keeps the reader having to turn the page over and over and I, I got to ask uh, Larry Niven uh, during one of our one of our uh, talks during dinner and said uh, you know how do you um, how do you keep suspense or what's your philosophy on keeping suspense going and and uh, Larry's a a, a pretty uh, straightforward guy and he's, he says uh, well you just keep keep it going." <laughs> and, and 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 you know and you'd have to you'd have to know you know get to know him to understand like that deadpan is, is just like he was communicating it is as simple as that you just keep escalating you just keep hitting it up you keep driving it forward and that essay I'm not going to give away too much cuz I want you to read it so that you can
0: understand it and soak it in which is in it's in the online workshop mm-hmm, it you, is you yep. can get the whole essay and just, just as a last little bit of a plug on this on the es- on the workshop too, we transcribed all the all the videos so that you can take Google Translate. So regardless of where you're from, oh. you can translate all the videos as well as the essays into your own language and read what Mr. Hubbard is saying as well as what Tim Powers, Orson Scott Card, and David Farland saying. Oh, it's so generous.
1: Awesome yeah yeah suspense suspense was the one that uh that resonated the most with me and you highly recommend you you read it and you will understand a, a deeper dimension of why stories captivate us
0: good so now on um we've got about uh eight minutes left here so um what would um zane what would you like to be able to communicate to the aspiring artist you know um either things that you had to overcome because you had a great speech last night. It was really, really nice. Um, So you definitely had points where you're ready to just quit throwing the towel. Okay. That's it. I can't handle it. So talk a little bit about that and what made you decide, okay, I'm going to persist. Uh,
2: Well, first of all, it's great to have somebody to support you. Like my girlfriend, she supported me through that. Um, But I would say just have a change in your mindset. Don't feel bad for yourself. Don't think, oh, I can't get through this. Because then you end up not doing anything because you're just thinking about not being able to do it. You just think it's never going to get any better. Just push through. You're, I'm going to get better. I'm going to get faster. Everything will fall into place if I just keep working and I keep staying strong in my mind. I There's no... You had
0: a thing that happened, though. It's oh, easy to yeah. say when you're on the other side of yeah. that wall.
2: Yeah. But
0: when you're on the wrong side of the wall. <laughs> so, talk about that because I think that's yeah. going to be more real to yeah, people yeah. that are struggling.
2: Yeah. So, for a little while, I was actually like incredibly miserable with my work. And, like, you know, I worked a job and I did school at the same time. I'm still doing it. But, um, yeah, I was just coming back home and complaining and telling my girlfriend about all this stuff that I hated. And I was like, I'm tired of this. It's not getting any better. I, I thought it was gonna get better. It's not getting any better. And she told me she was tired of hearing me complain. And I was like, I was stunned. I was like, what, what? You're tired of hearing me complain? And she was like, yeah, it's not gonna get any better. It's only gonna get worse. So you just need to change the way you think about this. You need to just understand that you're going to improve as an artist and everything is going to fall into place as long as you don't break. Just don't break. And I was so close to breaking. Like, I was I was almost ready to just stop being an artist and just be like, okay, I'm just going to do, like, maybe I'll be a texture artist for a living, just work with nodes and, like, do, like, all this technical stuff. But no, she pushed me to keep doing what I was doing. And I think being able to persevere is incredibly important as an artist. You have to be able to do the, it's not just like a long walk or a long run. It's a long sprint. It's a lifetime sprint, and you just need to be ready for that. I know it sounds terrible, but it's one of the most gratifying jobs you could ever possibly have. You get to see yourself grow, like not only as an artist, but as a person. Like your art develops with you. The more you experience in life, the better your art gets. So I I, just, I think being an artist is incredible, and you just need to persevere. Um, and if you're applying for jobs, especially in the games industry, you're going to need to apply for hundreds before you get a response back. And sometimes those interviews don't come through. You'll go to the second one, and they'll say, no, we don't want you. And you just keep reapplying.
0: Do the same thing with this competition, and everything will fall into place. That's awesome. And yourself, Desmond, anything where you had – that same type of thing where it's it's advice for the aspiring writer but where you were almost ready to say or maybe you already did throw in the towel and then had to have the towel through the laundry and back in again
1: no no I, I've uh, I've never wanted to uh throw in the towel but there were things that got in my way mm-hmm. and the uh and here's here's what got me out of my own way and um I touched on it a little bit last night But uh, you have to never stop stop learning. Um, I don't know what I'm doing, and that is why I am successful in anything in life, because I'm seeking out to learn how and why to be better. If you think that you know what you're doing, you may want to
0: consider that maybe that's not why you're having successes. We always have to keep learning. Actually, Mr. Hubbard has a datum on that. You know that the primary barrier to learning is thinking that you already know it all.
1: No, I mean it's universal truth. I mean, yeah, it's,
0: uh, I I could go on
1: and on. But um, two is you got to set objectives because um, this business is not forgiving to leafs in the wind. You have to say, okay, writer me, I'm going to complete this by this time and then I'm gonna submit it here. You have to tell you have to commit to yourself that you're gonna do this thing. Otherwise, this hobby is just gonna run you over. And then you're gonna get sad and depressed of why you're not seeing this thing come to life. All you had to do was set an objective. And it helps provide a structure and goals. And then the third one is when things do go wrong, you can't uh there's some there's this concept called radical acceptance where sometimes you just have to accept things they are not place a judgment that uh oh I got rejected and that was a bad thing you got rejected and uh that was just an event that happened in life because it happens to every single one of us 97 I think the percentage is 97% of the time um you have to roll with it, and you have to keep rolling forward. Um, Bob's, uh, Robert Sawyer uh, wrote a line in his book, The Oppenheimer Alternative, that I, I really loved. Something about them, this is an extreme paraphrase, but um, lean, falling forward as if, or leaning forward as if you were falling into the future. That's what you always have to be doing because uh, if you get stuck in the now, um, getting hung up on, on uh, the losses, then you're not going to move forward.
0: You were saying something about like uh, something happens good. This happens good. That's a concept by uh, Jocko Willenick, who's a, a, a retired Navy SEAL.
1: Um, and he would, uh, when his troops would would come to him with what was going wrong, which in that line of work things go wrong all the time. He would reply back, "Good." And then they ask him, "Hey, boss, why do you, why why do you always tell us good when things are going wrong?" And essentially, it's it's almost like a motivated silver lining perspective you have to see the opportunity in the failures because uh, if you let the failures or the and i say failures as the as a as a me term for um, for the bad things that go wrong if you get stuck in that then it will destroy you but if you find the silver lining opportunity the what is the good that you can find in the bad that'll carry you forward and we in, in the artistic world, we we can only afford to go forward. We can't get stuck here.
0: Good, good. All right. So um, as we wrap this up, Zane, how can somebody find your amazing art? Where where's the best place for them to go to find you? All right. So if you want to see my professional work and my
2: portfolio, you just go to zanel.artstation.com and that would and that's,
0: be yeah, spell it. Yeah.
2: Z-A-I-N-E. L dot A-R-T-S-T-A-T-I-O-N
1: dot C-O-M. Great. And yourself, Desmond? The website is DesmondAstair.com, and then I'm also on Instagram and Twitter at
0: Desmond Astaire. Good, and that's, that's not the Fred Astaire. This is the Astair with an E on it.
1: Yes. Yep. That is a D E S -S M O N D. Last name A S T A
0: I R E. Excellent. Well, gentlemen, it's been amazing. I'm so. This is the one I was really looking forward to a lot because you know nobody knew who was going to be the grand prize winner. So it's always fun to get like, okay, so what was it like and how'd it go and. So what are you going to do now? So this is, this is great. So I'm very look, much looking forward to reading your future stories, Desmond, and actually seeing your art. And, and we de- I definitely will follow up with you with, um, with Sarah Frazetta to connect you there so you can see Frank Frazetta's museum there in, in uh, Boca Grande. And uh, this is great that you're, that you're connecting up with some of the people already for future work. And thank you for listening. Subscribe to the Writers of the Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The Writers of the Future podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, Player FM, iHeart, and Spotify. We've also been syndicated on the United Public Radio Network, where you can find these podcasts as well. The Writers of the Future series can be purchased wherever books are sold in the U.S., Canada, the U.K., Australia, and South Africa, and available everywhere else on Amazon. Writers and illustrators of the future contest, contests created by Elwin Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to new and amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. Again, thank you very much, Desmond and Zane. Thank you, John.